Well, g'day, T. How are we going? I'm good, B. How's your week? The week's been amazing, as always. Like, how can it not be amazing? Here we are, too. We are sitting here. We're, obviously, we can see each other. People on podcasts can't see us. But we are wearing our Teenage Fundy merch. You're wearing a hoodie. I'm wearing, wearing a long-sleeve tee. So we are completely repping it, but no one can see it. But if you do want to get onto it, we have had a few people that have sent us pictures of them in the gear or drinking out of their mugs. Just get onto Redbubble. Have a bit of fun. Um, they are fairly minimalist, non-offensive clothing, um, range of colours. We do declare that we get 20% off the profits. I'm just um, laughing at you, range of colours. It's black. No, no, you can get many colours. Oh, okay, but the but the the logo is is just Low. black on whatever. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, fucking hell, T. Yeah, no, take are. it back. Take oh, it back. Dial it back. Dial it back. <laughs> but get in there, people. Yeah, it's 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 a bit of fun. Um, you can rep the pod, podcast, and you can look amazing, and you will be very fashionable. We are hoping that they'll bring these out in hyper color, just to take us back to the eighties. You know, you can go put your handprint on people. They were amazing. That was fun. Although I feel that in today's environment, you probably can't go and just put your hands on people. It's probably wrong would you say yeah. that yeah I, I wouldn't say probably but yeah i think it is wrong <clears throat> i would say i would say probably yeah good one hey and don't forget also our social media channels so jump into facebook have a chat with us connect with each other and also we're on twitter we're too old for instagram but if someone wants to set up an instagram account and run it on our behalf i'm, I'm okay with that we could we're not in on tiktok either and no, I, we're not TikTok. Fuck TikTok. No, no politicians way. have started to get onto TikTok and do their news, um, not their news, sorry, their their daily presses on TikTok now. So I feel like we're missing out. There's there's yeah, a well, captive audience here. I'm okay with that. I really am okay with that. I'm I'm still working out a set timer on my VCR. <laughs> beta, beta. Yeah. Hey, so we've got an exciting guest today, mm. and that is Fiona Newton. And Fiona is a teenage, or was a teenage fundy herself, which is really cool. So I'm really excited to hear her story about that. Um, but also she did something really cool around a campaign against getting Hillsong or getting Hillsong out of schools, right? So she wanted to see them, you know, at least at least challenged in their in their content and stuff, but possibly even, you know, not get in at all. But we're going to talk all about that in a minute. So I'm going to throw over to Fiona and say, g'day. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, B&T. I've been listening to your podcast for quite some time, so it's a special treat to actually be on it. I was going to say, no, Fiona, it's our treat. Oh, you're both lovely. So, Fiona, we want to hear all about you. We want to know everything about you in terms of your background and your own teeny bopper fundy um, experiences, et cetera. But then we also want to hear about everything that you did and, you know, your campaign. And I know you were on television and, you know, radio and articles were written about you, all that kind of stuff. So throw over to you. Who are you and, and how did you end up here? I like to start most of my stories with saying in my fourth cult because I've actually been in four different groups over my lifetime that I would describe as cultish type churches. Uh, so my parents actually met in a group in the 70s called the Ashburton Fellowship. And they uh, were a group that kind of, you know, passed the offering plate around until they got the money, the right amount of money come in. Um, my dad credits them for splitting up their marriage my mum and dad's marriage you know my mum was then a single parent after I was born and 
um, they came and took her TV because it was the devil. The, it was the devil's tool, which you know, let's be honest, probably ended up at a pawn shop. Uh, and look, my dad. It turned out years later that my father actually uh, dobbed them into the police, and I think he was basically responsible for shutting down that group uh, because there was a lot of, you know, well, let's just say controversial activity going on. Um, so that's where my parents met and, and where I was conceived into. And, and so were they a Christian group and what, what yeah. set them apart? Yeah, they would have been. They, they, I, to be honest with you, I found it really hard to find inf- any information on them because it's the 70s and the internet hadn't been born yet. Um, but they were an evangelical group. Uh, I don't know what they spun off from or where they came from. But um, they, you know, and they've dissolved a long time ago. So the only information I've got about them is from my family, essentially. Mm, okay. Um, well, if anyone in the Facebook group does have a, a bit more information on that, feel free to chuck stuff on the page. But um, mm, I'd be very be... interested, actually. So yeah, I was, I was obviously too young to remember that group at all. But um, then we we ended up in a group called the Springvale CRC. So they're Christian Revival Crusade. Uh, so I can remember that. I was I, I remember being sort of five or six, going to Sunday school and, you know, learning the, the first this concept of God and there's a God and he kind of sat on a cloud somewhere and he, you know, my consciousness of this being uh, kind of came around that time. In fact, I remember drawing a picture at Easter, uh, you know, and leaving on the end of my bed so that God could take it to heaven. Did he? Well, no. And <laughs> okay. Was that because I, you weren't allowed to believe in the Easter Bunny, so you couldn't, like, leave carrots <laughs> out and things like that? Is that what well, was no. going on there? Comforted myself with lots of chocolate eggs that Easter. But I remember <laughs> genuinely being hurt and disillusioned by it. Like, I I couldn't believe that God wouldn't take my picture, you know. Like, I drew it for him. I left it for him. Why didn't he take it? So my consciousness around that age sort of started to you know, become very real. But I then I kind of just thought he, there must have been a reason he might have been busy at Easter. I don't know how I justified it. Well, it's a big time for him, you know. It was a big, he's busy, busy, busy. It is, it's he's, he was probably still in the tomb. So, yeah, and then my memory of that group is they were very, you know, big on the waving hands. You know, they'd sing songs like Joy is the Flag, Flown High. and uh, From the Castle you know, of Your Heart. Yeah, <laughs> from the castle in your heart and run around the, you know, the school hall with flags. And I, my memory of it is that there was just overweight women that would sit next to me and smell because they had <laughs> been running around so much. Uh, so, but in that group, then my f- mother met my stepdad and he was an ex-revival centre person. So that's where our paths sort of start to cross T is, you know, we both part of, grew up in the revival centre. I was about eight when we started going there. Do you know why they moved from the CRC flag waving, old lady smelling, to to <laughs> something as sort of formal and sort of constrained as the revival centre? Do you know what the move was about? Well, my my stepdad had been to the Wagga revival centre, and I think he'd been kicked out for some reason, but always wanted to go back. So he, once his time was up, I think he just took us with him. I don't know what the exact reason why he liked that group more than the <laughs> more than the joy is the flag group but uh, yeah I, the, and this is where I then by this stage I'm sort of eight heading you know eight to nine years old started going to Sunday school being indoctrinated with what was going on there 
Uh, and of course, the preaching around speaking in tongues was really you know, pressed upon us to that we had to speak in tongues in order to go to heaven. So I started to become really worried that I wasn't going to go to heaven because I couldn't speak in tongues. They eventually took, I remember they took me into a, my Sunday school room and I had to I had to say hallelujah, 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 until, and then praise the Lord, I was yeah. speaking in tongues. So, yeah, until you got the machine gun tongues. Yeah, and uh, yeah, of course, I just became tongue-tied, and uh, but they told me I was speaking in tongues, and I was hugely relieved that I would then make it to heaven because because I could do I could do it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> So then I got baptized and you know was was right in the right in the group but as I grew up actually in the revival centers I I had a lot of fun you know I, I was going to camps at Christmas and New Year's you know this my social group was amazing I had things to do every weekend but there was always that looming anxiety that you know, my, I might not be saved. And uh, you know as a teenager got into different forms of mischief and Got kicked out a couple of times for smoking and drinking. And for three months? Was it three months? Was that the magic I got, number? Well, I got <laughs> I got a few weeks. I can't remember exactly how long it was. But, it, yeah, it was, it was probably about a month, actually. And then I remember getting a call from one of the pastors and I was hungover because <laughs> so I'd been to a party the night before. And they said, are you ready to come back? And I was like, yes. I'm I'm ready. I've I've you know I mean while I'm nursing this really exactly. I'm ready, I'm ready. Just let me have a couple of panadol and a barocca and I'll <laughs> be there. Big Mac and then <laughs> You know, Big some people talk about Big Macs, but you know what it was for me? A chocolate paddle pop. It was the oh, best wow. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no problem keeping it down and I promise you, hangovers would just go. It was incredible. Yeah, but there you go. There's tips for those playing at home. Paddle pop or a big Mac. You learn at church. I remember I also in this group, I had a, I did have a sexual experience with a boy when I was about 13. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because from, from then on, the preaching at youth group was, you know, if you've had any kind of sexual relations with someone, you're essentially married in the eyes of God and therefore have to get married. And so this experience I had was with a 19 year old boy too. So it wasn't, you know, the power, you know, it wasn't an appropriate experience. But for my whole life, I was thinking I either have to marry this boy or stay single for the rest of my life. Like that's what I believed my whole teenage years cool. is that I was trapped in this situation. That must have been traumatic for you, though. I mean, the the underlying anxiety of, you know, and, and at that stage, was there any talk about losing your salvation forever yeah, so then the, the preaching in the revival centers, by the time I was 18, they, they brought in a new doctrine that if you had sex before marriage, there's no guarantee of your salvation and you will be kicked out of the fellowship permanently. So it, it got stronger. It's, it's probably not a good business model to kick out fornicators, <laughs> let's be honest. But uh, yeah, the, it made me wonder. And in actual fact, I should have been able to talk to adults about this inappropriate experience. And instead, I'm thinking, you know, that I've ruined my salvation or that I have to marry this person I don't even like, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, it does worry me. We sort of glossed it over it there, but he was 19, you were 13. Yeah, so it was, it was completely, completely inappropriate. Um, in fact, 
yeah. I mean, in fact, illegal. illegal. Yeah, exa exactly. But because of the doctrine around all of that, that was not... Yeah, that was uh, secondary, wasn't it? What was yeah, really it was going not on even, was your eternal destiny. I didn't even realise that until I was well in my 20s. What, it didn't even occur to me what had actually happened. So, yeah, so there was, there was that anxiety. And I, I remember there, there was just these really, really kind of lurid sex talks that would happen at, um, in, the, in the meetings too. I don't know why we've hit sex so quickly. But, you know, like I remember we, the pastor about a year later was – you had like 60 or 70 young people crammed in this small room and the pastor started the talk with, if you're masturbating, stop it. Like that was the start of the talk. Even though I had a great, I had a really great social network of people, um, there was this constant kind of anxiety about all of this stuff that was threaded through that experience. So, yeah. I never heard them ever give a talk on masturbation in the revival center like ever but i do remember all those inappropriate ones i remember there was one pastor who got up one day and said people think that if you have sex with a condom it's not really sex i just <laughs> want to say because you know us in the revival center it was just every fucking loophole yeah. right? we could jump through we would yeah. um, but he came along and had you know explain and i can remember just being a kid you know maybe being 15 16 going yeah i, I think we, most of us knew that one Sex, sex with the condoms, not real sex. It's, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> but I'm just putting it out there. Anyway, sorry if you know. Dental dams. But anyway, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that reminds me of that Simpson episode where um, the Christians came around to all the schools and told them told them all not to have ha have sex. So then they all started having ear sex. And I was like, that's exactly what, <laughs> that's exactly what it's like. You look for these loopholes. But yeah, so then when I was 18, they brought out this new doctrine about you know, there's no salvation for people that fornicate, basically. Or maybe we should rebrand it and say the, the new doctrine was fornicators, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that cleared out the church. Uh, no, but it, what, it, what it did was it split the church right down the middle. So they became sort of team A and team B. Pastors in different states went one direction and another direction. Where I was in Melbourne, most people stayed with team A, but there was probably a couple hundred people that split off into Team B. But that kind of raised this massive question for me that because I, I went to Team B thinking this doctrine's not not right. Like I was looking through all the scriptures they were trying to justify this new doctrine. I'm like, it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't say this anywhere. And, and so Team B rebranded themselves as the Revival Fellowships, right? Correct. So they yeah. were, and they still exist today to this day. Yeah, the they Revival do. Revival Fellowships. Although I think the Revival Centres and the Revival Fellowship must, they, they're just not what they were, you know, back in the... Back in 80s, our day. Back, back in, in our, our day, day, in the 80s and 90s. But, yeah, so that, that raised a question for me. Well, if they got this wrong, what else? Maybe they've got other things wrong. And so I only lasted about six months in, the, in Team B. And then I started getting in contact with people that had left the Revival Centre sort of two or three years before me then started actually reading books outside of the group. Like I started reading Benny Hinn books and uh, Billy Graham books, you know, like actual – and to me that was a massive step. Like we were not allowed to read any literature outside of anything written by pastors within the revival centres. So to, to do that was actually a massive step to actually go, I'm going to go to Kurong and read some other books and started going to Waverley and Richmond AG and just sort of 
trotting around the different churches and just checking them out, I suppose, and going along with extra Bible Centre people that I knew. Uh, and I remember reading this book, Angels, by Billy Graham, and he was explaining that there's this spiritual war going on for all of our souls. So there's angels and demons fighting. And as I was in my room reading this book, I heard this noise. And I thought, oh, my gosh, the demons are out there. I can hear the demons. They're fighting for my soul. Yeah. And was absolutely terrified. Started speaking in tongues, started praying. You know, got quite worked up and then I would tell this story about how I could hear the demons for years to come. And then I was up at some of my friend's house in Cockatoo and then I heard <laughs> and I said, "Is can anyone else hear that? Can anyone else hear the demon? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what I said. And, and and like, I, yeah, I know where this yeah, is dude, going, right? A, I know yeah. where this is going. It starts with P, but go on, keep going. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, dude, that's the, they're, they're the possums. And I was like, oh. <laughs> In, in all fairness, when we moved into the house we're in, we had seven possums in the roof. They are of the devil. There is absolutely <laughs> no doubt. They kept us awake all night and I had to relocate them. But, um, yes, they do sound demonic. Well, they do. And I, But I literally for quite a few years thought I had spiritually tuned ears <laughs> that I could hear demons. And <laughs> actually you could just hear possums. Just hear the possums. <laughs> so... <laughs> Turns out we all could. <laughs> um, oh well, so, yeah, quite a that's journey. We interpret. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just the timing of reading that book and that happening. So, yes, I don't think I have spiritually tuned ears any longer. But uh, so, yeah, then, then I, uh, a few of my friends from the Revival Centre started taking me to a group that uh, was called Church and that was run by one of the sons of one of the pastors that used to be at the revival centers. It was amazing. Like when I, when I heard the first meeting I went to, he said, God has called you to this group. You know, I, I can sense that you are one of the, one of, the, one of us kind of thing. And, and I, I was like, wow, this is amazing. I'm, you know, and you got to think I was 18. So I'd left school. I'd walked away from my community from, from you know that I'd grown up with, I was really at a loose. You're very vulnerable, as well. Yeah, were. very vulnerable sort of space. Starting uni, doing all of that sort of stuff, and um, very tran in a very transient, vulnerable sort of place. Yeah. So having and he gave you a word basically is what he oh, did. God spoke yeah. to me and said you should be here. Here's the offering plate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now give your soul and bank account to me, and. <laughs> Uh, he, but he really believed that he had a vision from God that he was going to build churches all over the world and you know be one of the biggest groups that had ever happened and quite a narcissistic personality type in the end. And then end, ended up moving in with these pastors, being really strongly mentored with them. But any friendship that I started to have outside the group, that was of the flesh and not of the spirit. So I was, I was meant to, you know, I was constantly told to cut these friendships off. And so it was more, again, it was more of the same, just same shit, different bucket, right? More intense, yeah. In some ways, it's the same shit, same bucket, because these people had actually come from the revival centres. Yeah, they had. The way that that group was set up was very much, no one had dealt with the trauma from revival centres, and then we were going into a, 
new space to altogether really uh but there was other there was other people that hadn't been part of the revival centers that were part of this group early days as well as i got older i then started to you know develop into leadership roles and i think i was 22 or 23 and leading teams of 30 or 40 people had no idea what i was doing reading e-myth and tipping point and just devouring all these kind of books you know i was just devouring these books trying to figure out what what on earth i was doing and uh, very much became part of the senior leadership team so the pressure on me was just so much greater because i then felt responsible for the eternal souls of these people that i was leading and mentoring and also you, that group joined the AOG, didn't they? Correct. They became part of the Assemblies of God of the Australian Christian Churches. Correct. So, uh, and which Brian Houston uh, led that led the Australian Christian Churches at that time. And uh, we were kind of being mentored as a church by Danny Guglamucci and that whole crew from Adelaide. Yeah, Melinda Dwight and those kind of people were mentoring the church at different times as well. But very loosely, like there wasn't any accountability for what was going on really. And as and then I ended up running the youth group. So and the, um, my pastor said to me, well, you know, you need to build a, a youth group of 300 people. That's what he said to me in, a, in his office one day. And I'm like, there's two teenagers in the church. How am I going to do that? So I just got a couple of people in their 20s that were also in their group. And we started hanging around at skate parks and the commission flats and different places and launched this youth group had 40 people at the first night found a a hall that one of the guys from richmond aog was renting in abbotsford that had air hockey tables basketball courts all that sort of thing we managed to get free sponsorship from mcdonald's and kfc and you know built this youth group and built relationships with kids that lived in the housing estates around melbourne so they they were very rough kids but hungry to be there and loved loved being there I was being mentored, or I had a couple of mentoring sessions from uh, some of the pastors in the AOG who who told me that I can't really build a youth group on these kids because they can't tithe. It was literally, oh. the, literally the mentoring oh. advice I got. So, but I still know some of these kids. They're now in their 30s and have kids themselves. We still keep in, in contact with them. I still see them around. I, I still live in the area. I still see them around. So I still I, I still think it was one of the good things that we managed to do. For those um, kids that have come become successful, have you backdated their tithing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I Remember all I did for you? Facebook that you have a job now. <laughs> <laughs> the options there. And now it's time to start a youth group. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and then. Eventually, the last couple of years, I was really becoming an agitator. So I was starting to really question things that were going on. Um, but I was constantly like, like what, Fiona? What were you? What well, were you questioning? There, I mean, at the at the 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 last few years, particularly, we were we were at church six days a week. So we had you know we had two services at church on a Sunday. Uh, I had to run the youth group on a Sunday night. We had a massive prayer meeting on Friday. Uh, there was worship practice on Thursday. There was cell groups on Wednesday. There was training on Tuesday for different people. You know, there was just no healthy relationships. That My pastor was starting to become really controlling of everyone's relationships. They were really starting to push people to tithe. Like I was being told, um, we've noticed one of the people in your cell group hasn't tithed for a little while. You might need to go and have a word to them. So it was becoming really toxic. And 
Yeah, we we were right involved in that whole prosperity doctrine, um, you know, that was coming through the Hillsong church, Conference and churches, particularly John Anvanzini. We read all of his books, you know, 30, 60, 100-fold return on everything that you give to God. So and then, and I was watching people pay their tithes and you know give to the church and then not be and then not be able to pay their rent. So it was just becoming really, really unhealthy. My pastor was starting to get me to mentor one of the girls in the church that turned out he was having an affair with, to tell her to break up with her boyfriend. That was what I was supposed to be mentoring her to to do. I backed up against that kind of thing and. Um, I would literally be what I would describe as verbally assaulted in rooms by myself and come out hyperventilating and that sort of thing. So, so let's so let's be clear. He was having an affair with this girl. Roughly how old would she have been? She was 20. And then he told you to counsel her to break up with her boyfriend whilst he's having this affair. Uh, I her. think um, not whilst, but in order that he could because he was trying to detach her from him so that he could get in there mm-hmm. uh i think the act they did actually end up uh, something ended up happening but it was late in the piece but he was he was quite obsessed with her and yeah wanting me to be an instrument in breaking them up so it it just it was a very toxic group towards the end yeah i got kicked out a few weeks before it finished so what age were you fiona when this happened uh when the group finished i was 28 okay so, you, so by this time, you'd spent your whole life, up to 28, yes. immersed in this. Correct. And believed it all. I wasn't, I wasn't, I mean, there was probably splinters of, of moments, but essentially I was 100%. I mean, the, the loyalty and dedication I had to my pastors and, and, you know, you're taught that all authority is given to these people by God. This is the teaching that was coming through and and from from a Hillsong conference. You know, we'd go to the Hillsong conference and we'd hear this these scriptures coming through and teaching coming through Hillsong. But I, I was so dedicated to them that if there was a gun, someone was pointing a gun at my leaders, I would have stepped in front. Wow. I, I, I believed so much that they were the, the men and women of God that, that and they had the vision contained in them that that's what I would be required to do. It's funny we were talking about this in a previous episode we were saying that so many of the pastors would talk about that the expectation that these people would die for me um, yet the actual Christian message is that the leader dies for the people the shepherd mm-hmm. lays down his mm. life for the sheep so you know it's not even really Christian is it to be saying I'm going to die for these leaders. Mm, yeah, and and the way that the leadership was structured in the group, so there was this whole kind of thing that you couldn't dump down. So in other words, this team of people that I'm leading, mentoring in the church, I couldn't, I could not talk to them about anything because they wouldn't be ready to deal with what was going on. Um, the only people that you're allowed to dump to is your leaders above you. But the problem was they're the people I had the issue with. So. I, yeah, couldn't talk to anyone about that. So I was very trapped would be the, would be the word. So how did you exit? How did you get out of all this? Well, I was kicked out two or three weeks before because I was agitating about some of this stuff. Uh, but essentially the church imploded. So it came out that I was having this affair uh, and then it came out, you know, the exorbitant amount of income they were earning 
from the you know from the tithes and offering whilst people are starving and not paying their rent and it just it imploded so uh some of the mentors from other churches then came and tried to look after our church but i think everyone was so traumatized and uh, you know finished by the end that gradually people just left it probably took me i I stayed around for about six months thinking maybe that things will heal now and maybe we can actually have a healthy church but it was really apparent that that was not going to happen so then i went through a really big process of going i was free for the first time in my life to question it all and i i remember visualizing just putting everything i'd known everything i believed onto a table and questioning it all, not assuming anything that I know is true, which is quite a unique experience. I think I don't. I don't think everyone in life gets to do that. Uh, so I, I imagined I would come out as some kind of Christian in a different form at the end, but very quickly unravelled, realizing, of course, that church and religious structure was all BS. And for me, I couldn't see any really good thing about the organised religion that I'd seen. And then I kind of questioned, my next step was kind of questioning the Bible. So is this book really the word of God? Is it really inspired? And as I started to look for, look at it through different eyes, and I was reading Richard Dawkins and, you know, all that sort of material at the time and just thought, man, this is a terrible moral code. <laughs> genocide, incest, sexual assault, you know, it was just, it was just not, there was not much actually that I looked at it in the end and thought, is there anything good about this book? So you've gone from John Avanzini and Benny Hinn to Richard Dawkins, and that's quite <laughs> yeah, quite a leap. A, it, <laughs> it was, and I, it, it was, and I, I mean, to be honest with you, at that time, again, I, you know, 10 years later, I had to leave my community again, so I lost you know, 95% of my friends overnight. And I was just, there was just nothing, there was nothing to lose. It was just, let's, let, I was I was ready to be open to questioning everything. One, one thing that kept me holding on to a possible belief in God at that point was that I had these, I had real, what I called spiritual experiences growing up. You know, like I would run home from school to pray because I would have these amazing experiences where I couldn't move, you know, even in meetings, I would, I would, would, I would be what I would think was being under the power of the Holy Spirit. They weren't fake experiences. A lot of those, they were real experiences for me. But what I did when I left that group too is I picked up smoking. <laughs> it was kind of my way of, yeah, you know, going, fuck you all. I'm look, I'm not part of you anymore. Look at me smoking. And then, you know, five or six years later. I have an addiction and no one's looking. So <laughs> so I tried a few things and I went and got hypnotised to, to give up smoking. And they, you know, did the, you're a pebble falling in a pond, et cetera, et cetera. And I was out. I was, and I, it was, you know, I really felt like I was a pebble falling in the pond. And when I came out, 10, 9, 8, you're back in the room, she, I apparently looked quite stunned and she said are you okay and I said oh, I've I, I, no I've actually had this experience before and this is what I used to call God I was going to say did you say to her are you Jesus so 
so yeah, so that kind of un- from there, I just went, geez, someone who knows I had to alter the state of my mind gave me the same experience that I used to call the Holy Spirit, you, you know, and that that kind of unraveled that part of it too because there was just, you know, there was nothing much to hold on to after that. And she said to me, you know, 5% of the world is highly susceptible to hypnosis and 5% of the world roughly uh, are not able to be hypnotised at all. And she said, you're highly susceptible. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, since then I've kind of, I guess I parked it a lot of it. Then I came out and <laughs> yeah, and um, now in a same-sex relationship with the four, and we're raising a four-year-old boy together. Wonderful. So just look, being aware of time, I think um, I'd really like to get into this whole, you know, Hillsong schools thing. Otherwise, we're we're yeah. not going to have time to do so. So do you want to do you want to tell us about that? Like, how how did it come up? What what motivated you? Let's get right into that. Yeah, well, I, I think um, becoming a parent for me in a same-sex relationship, I was nervous about how that would affect my child, like in this world. And during the plebiscite in Australia, where we were, you know, voting on marriage equality for what seemed like an eternity, the media was giving so much attention to, you know, the Australian Christian lobby, who were saying things like kids that are raised by same-sex parents are part of the stolen generation, gay people are the devil. You know, that was really extreme. And they were given the most airtime during that time. So, you know, people were paying for vote no to be written in the sky. So some people that I know that are in same-sex relationships had, you know, kids that knew what was going on and were quite upset and traumatised by it. So I was worried about that. And then I remember one, it was a Sunday night in December, I couldn't sleep and I thought, I know, the best thing for insomnia is to go on Twitter. <laughs> and <laughs> it's not known for curing insomnia, but I <laughs> I had a look at what was going going on and what was trending. And, and what was trending was actually that Hillsong had just announced that they're going to do this national school tour. And of course, couldn't sleep at all after that because I was furious. I was like, I do not want to send my son to a public school and have to worry about kids being recruited into these groups that I'd grown up in and knew exactly the damage that they could do. So I literally jumped on change.org, started a petition, and the next morning I shared the link with all these people that were you know, that were communicating about it on Twitter, asking them to sign it and share it. By the end of Monday, by the end of that day, I had 2,000 signatures and I thought, I just want to get a few thousand and then I can go to the education ministers and start campaigning about this. And then my one of my friends uh, was the editor at the time of Star Observer, which was a, a queer rag, and he said, oh, I really want to do a story on this but I don't have time to write it for the next couple of days. And I said, well, look, how about I write it and you just then proof it? So I wrote the article and then it got it went into Star Observer. By Tuesday, I think we had four or 5,000 signatures. Then Wednesday, I was contacted by SBS and they wrote an article and then Channel 7 wrote an article and then Wednesday, Hillsong shut down their school tours website. Wow. So once it started getting some traction, they but we managed to screen grab it all before 
they did that because their mission for it was clearly we want to bring the love of Christ into schools. And and the thing was this, the, the what was happening is this chaplain program that the government are funding, the chaplains aren't allowed to prophesize, but they were getting Hillsong into schools and then they were prophesizing through these kind of, um, what are they, they were doing pancake and something, you know, music festival type events, clearly a recruitment drive. Um, so they shut down their website and then um, Channel 7 had it as their lead story on their website for, you know, at least a day. And then by the end of the week, I had like 20, they had like 20,000 signatures. And so I had some media attention. I was going on, you know, Joy 94.9 and different radio stations being interviewed by a couple of different community radio stations. And then it was sort of heading into Christmas. So I was thinking, oh, that's going to kind of fizzle out now. But then the Herald Sun got in contact with me and said, we want to do a story. We'll wait till January once the school holidays are sort of finishing. So then the Herald Sun ran a story. People started campaigning councils, all that sort of thing. Uh, started to keep Hillsong out of schools. Facebook page, which gained some traction and wrote a template letter that people could send to their principal. I think the awareness, just even that these groups were trying to do that because they go in kind of a stealth way where they don't even tell people they're Christians. Uh, so then the Herald Sun did an article and then and then May the following year, the Women's Weekly did a, an article about it too. So there, yeah, it, it, it gained a lot of traction. Of course, then COVID hit in between all of that. So they haven't been able to do school tours anyway. But it certainly raised awareness right across the country about what was going on. And I think, you know, secular schools should be a safe place. So this went right into 2020. Yeah. So it was December 9, 2019. And yeah, it was still gaining traction in, in 2020. Uh, occasionally it still flares up on Twitter. Someone shares it and then <laughs> it goes again. I think at the moment it's got 42, 43,000 signatures last time I looked. So, that's huge so you know if you know you've you've talked to us about um your journey and your deconstruction of your faith t and i've spoken before about when we went to school and it's probably the same when when you went to school you had religious education you you either went the um the catholic side or you you went the uh, the other side whatever it was at my school it was a baptist but you know people had choice to go what's what's the difference with this why, why are you so irked about hillsong being the ones that were were leading the charge here, I think I think as they at, at the time it was Hillsong. I mean, they just have so much resource and and money behind them that they could, you know, make this a massive recruitment drive. So, at the time, it was just that that was announced, and then I jumped on it. It was it wasn't a, I didn't sit down in a strategy meeting and decide to go after them. But I, I had religious education at school too. I think it might have been the Baptists as well, but. I, the, one of the problems is that it, it's at opt, you know, in some schools it's opt-in and some schools it's opt-out. And I think if people want their kids to be taught religion at schools, then it should be an opt-in. And it, and my argument is it shouldn't be done during class time. It should be an out-of-school out hours curric, extracurricular thing like sport is or other things are if people want to, if people want to do that. I just don't want people... You know, these groups going through schools and and doing recruitment, I think that's really inappropriate. So 
what would you say to people then who would say oh look you're she's just bitter she's angry look she had these four different groups and three of them were extreme four of them possibly even extreme and hillsong's not like that uh well i would actually say hillsong is like that um i a lot of the teaching from vision city which is an assemblies of god church and at the time headed up by you know brian houston and the australian christian churches they teach all of those things that you blindly follow the leaders they still teach the prosperity doctrine uh, they still are part of the whole purity movement where you know kids are promising their virginity to god uh, and of course failing and so the trauma and shame about that is is really bad so and are anti anti-gay quite openly anti-gay uh, they encourage everyone to vote no during the, the plebiscite, of course. Um, so they they are, by definition, in fact, I was going to share with you, I've actually written a little model about what a cult, what the different, you know, it's an if model in a cult, the traits are this, and in a healthy community, the traits are this. Um, so a sort of if and then model. Um, and I, I'd like to put this on the Facebook group after the podcast, if that's okay with you, and then get everyone's feedback on it yeah definitely for sure um so for just as a couple of examples in a cult you're ostracized if you leave the group but in a healthy community the door is always open uh in a cult there's only one truth in a healthy community there is active truth seeking in a in a cult questioning is weakness in a healthy community questioning is encouraged you know so i've just got a there's about 12 of those kind of things where you go, if a cult is this, then a healthy community is this. And I kind of think it's really good to be able to define because, you know, we can look at a group like Hillsong and think, okay, well, they don't seem to be too cultish, but they actually meet a lot of this criteria. Cultishness is a spectrum. And just because one group is further down the end, you know, an extreme end, doesn't mean that another group's not on the spectrum just because they're not as, as far down as yeah. others. So 100%. What would you say then to people that would say oh this is just a gay thing so she, she's come out she's yeah. gay now and you know that's what this is really all about well people did say that that it's just a it's, it's just a gay thing i i also kind of go well it's valid to be worried about my son and his say emotional safety i mean being told you're part of the stolen generation that's you know not and that, and that if that's what's going to be taught in schools and that's not going to be a, an emotionally safe place for him so i think it is valid that it that's okay that i'm coming from that perspective because it's my lived experience but it's not just gay people that are affected by these groups you know there's especially now there's just story after story of people coming out poor and traumatized and bullied and making podcasts make a making podcasts <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when i think about this you know, remembering that my story also was a group came to school and certainly that group didn't recruit me, but the seeds were sown mm. and there was, there was an openness to it all, etc. I, I think it's very much about a protection of, of kids. I think this is very much about, look, you know, if we're talking about adults, it's a completely different story. But to be letting these groups into schools and having these conversations and sowing those seeds and building that worldview into children at such a young age I, I think what you're doing is really all about protecting the children you know they can come to it at a later age they can as adults start to explore this but it really worries me 
that they would do this to kids, you know. And like mm. I said before, you know, my my colours are totally nailed to the mast. I am all about religious freedom, 100%, even though I don't agree with the majority of what's peddled out there. But when it comes to children, my life would have been completely different mm. if these groups weren't allowed in my school. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, it's it's almost like children aren't ready to make that decision either um, and being indoctrinated into one particular group at a young age. Um, it's just not it's not what school is about either. No, that's right. I mean, we make decisions about where our kids go to school, whether it's public or private, what the curriculum is, what the strength is of that school. And if then you have this layered on there without the choice or informing it, then um, you shouldn't, yeah, it, it just shouldn't be shoved on your kids. My son's starting school next year and I'm actually actively asking the principals if, you know, if they have any religious groups coming through or they encourage that kind of thing. I mean, I live in inner city Melbourne, so it's unlikely, but it's, um, yeah. you know, I think it's a valid thing to be asking your principal about before before you start because especially if, people, if, if schools have this opt-out, then everybody by default is doing religious education. That's one issue. The other issue is, you know, these groups that kind of let in, are let in seen as a music festival pancake day thing, yeah. but that's not what they really are. In the city of Melbourne, you'll uh, probably just get a, a Greens how to vote card when the kids <laughs> enrol. How to how to combat climate change or something, but it's um. <laughs> I can remember my daughter had a uh, a religious unit at, at part of her study, and it was uh, she was in grade one or maybe even prep. But it was looking at what do other people believe, right? So it was mm. very much coming from a from I think from a good place. And um, what happened was different kids were able to invite their parents who represented their different religious groups, and the Hari Krishnas came as did some Indian families as well. And the Indian families were incensed that they were lumped into the same group as the Hare Krishnas because they <laughs> felt that the Hare Krishnas were actually misrepresenting Krishna and, and their religion, etc. And it was sort of put across as, oh, here's the Indian religion. And <laughs> afterwards there was a big, you know, she had a good talking to as for, by the principal as, what were the Hare Krishnas doing in my fucking school? <laughs> right, <laughs> talking to the preps. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's, um, but I do, I, I kind of like that learning about, because there's no doubt religion's informed our societies. The history of that, you know, has, has of different religions is interesting. I think learning about that's really important, but it's, it's when it's the, the motivation is conversion. That's when it gets it gets really dangerous. And and that was a very different model to you know religious education. This was a an you know a a unit of study. The teachers were involved. You know it was well planned, etc. Not just the teachers leave the room and the Baptists or the Catholics or they or Hillsong come in and take over and do whatever the heck they want. It was a very mm. very different approach. Mm. You you were saying before that um you know COVID's hit obviously you know he. Here we are, a fair bit down the track. Forty, I think you were saying about forty-six thousand signatures. So you know, a lot of people behind it. Where do you take that next, or do you take it anywhere next? Yeah, well, I guess um, because nothing's actually happened in the space due to COVID, I, we I've kept the page active and we're still doing posts and engaging people that way. Uh, yeah, keeping keeping our eye out, helping people. I, I got involved in a group called Fearus, which is 
keep, it was something about keeping religion out of schools. We, we were involved in in doing that. Victoria is actually in a good space. We've um, religion is no longer taught as part of the curriculum in schools by default. So it, there there has been significant. I guess, improvement there. But other states like Queensland and New South Wales particularly, uh, religion's deeply entrenched in school culture. Uh, and they and they didn't sign the redress scheme for a very long time as well. They're one of the last church organisations to do that. So they've got a lot to do to build trust in that area. I think just opening the door and letting these groups in without proper practices around that side of things too is is really important the other the other thing that just is very discriminatory in australia is the uh, you know the 250 million dollars that goes towards religious chaplains only in schools so you can't actually apply for that funding if you're not a christian and a christian not even a different type of religion so i mean that's that's blatant discrimination that's going on trained counselors psychologists can't access those grants so you know, I think there's there's a lot of religious privilege going on that that needs to be challenged and addressed. And I think too, we, you know, meaning the three of us on this podcast and a lot of people that are listening to this, we come from a lived experience where we're saying this isn't good for you. We we've gone through this experience and we don't see enough change in these organisations. We don't see enough policy. We don't see enough procedure. We don't see enough, you know, change in 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 philosophy and and in the way they do things to justify that this is still okay. You know, mm. and and so I th- I think that's valid as well. Yeah, well that's right. Well, that's it's right. not a two-way conversation, is it? I mean, it's them telling us what's good for us rather than them listening to community and saying, well, you know, this the stuff that happens on the ground. This is how it affects us out in the real world. So until that happens, I, I'm not quite sure that it can be a safe or healthy space. That's right. And I think fundamentalism is the right word. It's like any any form of fundamentalism is dangerous. We're, we're one group and we're seeing this now with conspiracy theorists and QAnon. There's this belief that we have this special knowledge that we only hold the truth and everybody else hasn't caught up yet. You know, that's fundamentalism and it's dangerous. And same with religions that are fundamentalists. That That is the word. That is, you know, when, when it comes in political forms, religion conspiracy theories it's dangerous because it it locks people into one thing no one can fit into one thing so Mm. it's very damaging agreed well thank you so much fiona for being a part of this what we will do is any documents or websites or anything that you want to put we'll put in the show notes okay so we'll certainly put that in there for people to be able to access and especially your change.org how, how, how would people find it if they were searching for it? What would they do rather than if just you, clicking on a link? Even if you Google keep Hillsong out of schools, you'll see that it'll, the change.org thing and the articles will all come up. You know, it's, it was quite a prominent prominent thing at the time. So you can just Google that. I'm happy to put those in the – give you all the links to put into the show notes as well. And when once the once we're released, I'll put this little model in the – in the um, Facebook group and hopefully start a bit of a chat about it. What, how do other people define what a cult is? That'd be amazing. Mm. Next week, B, we're going to be looking at volunteerism and money. We're going to be talking about that and what our experience of that in the church. So that'll be another heavy but interesting episode. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to having that chat. All right. I'll see you next week. And thanks again, Fiona. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Fiona. See ya.